My home country is very divided right now. The United States is divided on politics and race and religion. There are people marching in the streets. There are people rioting. There's no room for discussions or disagreements today. Everything has to be a fight, it seems. The basic norms of treating people with respect have been thrown out the window long ago, I think. There's no respect for authority. People have become authorities unto themselves. And for me, it's heartbreaking. You know, I enjoy reading history. And the reality of history is this, that nations rise and nations fall. We don't like to think about that today. Societies come and societies go. And nothing on this earth lasts forever. Today we like to think of ourselves as so much better than those of the past. So much smarter, so much more capable than people in the past. The problem with that kind of thinking is that you don't take into consideration that the people of the past were just as smart as us. They were just dealing with the circumstances and the times in which they lived. On the one hand, it's right to say there have been tremendous changes in our society today. There have been tremendous advances in technology, in medicine, and our civilizations as a whole have progressed quite extensively when it comes to human technology. However, I can assure you that one thing has not changed, and that is the nature of the human condition. Our human nature always leans towards selfishness and greed and rebellion against God's authority. We see it all the time. We see it all around us. We see it even in our own kids, don't we? I was so shocked when my sons first learned the word no. They were such little tykes. They were little toddlers. And, and how on earth was it that my little, sweet, innocent toddler had learned about the word no so quickly? Where did that rebellion come from? But you know, we see it in ourselves as well, don't we? This selfishness and greed rises up so easily even within us. So often we have this inner rebellion that rises up inside of us and it pushes back against any authority when that authority goes against something that we want. And so we rebel against it. But the reality is authority in and of itself is not a bad thing. In fact, authority is often a good thing. Unfortunately, in our world, we do see bad examples of authority. We see people who abuse their powers of position. But that does not mean that all authority is bad. Imagine a world without authority, without laws or police to enforce those laws. It would be utter chaos. This morning, I want us to look at Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 through 32. In this passage, Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people, to the religious leaders specifically, who did not respect his authority. And it says this, Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you this authority? And Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question, and if you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism. Where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it amongst themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, Then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. And so they answered Jesus, 
We don't know. And then he said, Well, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. And then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first they answered. And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe. The chief priests thought they were being sly and clever, and they would be able to trip up Jesus. Obviously their question was not genuine, it was meant to trap him. They were deceiving themselves into thinking that they were more clever than Jesus. Now, as I looked at this text, I thought it revealed two ways in which we as human beings rebel against God's authority. And the first way is this. Rather than accepting God's authority, we question it. Like children, we say, why? Why should I? Why do I have to? Why, 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 why? The chief priests and the elders of the temple, they were also questioning the authority of Jesus. You see, Jesus was already a great teacher. He was already well known. Earlier in chapter 21, in the beginning of that chapter, it points out that Jesus was arriving into the city of Jerusalem, riding on the back of a donkey. People were treating him like he was the king coming into the city. They were hoping that he was. People were throwing their coats and laying palm branches on the ground for the donkey to walk on. They were, in effect, creating a red carpet for him as he entered the city. He was famous. He was famous for his miracles, and he was also even more famous for his knowledge and ability to teach scripture. So you can imagine that the leaders, they were intimidated, they were frustrated, they were even angry that Jesus would claim such authority. You see, in the Jewish temple, the chief priests, they were in charge. In fact, in the Jewish culture, the chief priests and the religious leaders of the day, they made the rules that people had to follow. Nothing happened without their approval. All authority, in fact, belonged to them when it came to the Jewish culture. And so Jesus was a threat to their position of authority, to their position of power. The words in English are translated that they simply came to him. But the original language is much stronger in its meaning. It means that they confronted him. They got in his face. And they started to question him, saying, Who are you? What gives you the right to stand here and teach us? By what or whose authority are you saying these things? But you see, Jesus flipped it around on them. Before I answer you, he says, let me ask you a question. And then he enters into a question about John the Baptist's baptism. John Baptist was also well known, and he was the prophet who paved the way for the coming of the Messiah, for Jesus himself. And John had been baptizing in the River Jordan, and many, many, many people came to receive his baptism of repentance. And so Jesus simply asked them, was John's baptism from heaven? In other words, was it ordained by God? Or was it simply something John made up? Was it of men? Well, the chief priests and the elders, they thought they were an authority unto themselves. They thought that they were more righteous than everyone else. They had mistakenly presumed that by putting on a good appearance in front of the people, this actually made them better than the other people. 
So when it came time to answer Jesus' question, they didn't want to lose face. The leaders gave a response like the one I so often got from my teenagers. I don't know. They said, we don't know. You see, rather than declaring publicly what they actually believed, they were searching for the right answer, an answer that would make them look good. But they quickly discovered that rather than setting a trap for Jesus, Jesus had trapped them in their lies. No matter how they answered, they were going to look foolish in front of the people. Now, here's the question for us. How many of us say the right things on Sunday in front of the people, but on Monday through Saturday, our actions don't line up with our words? What does this say about what we actually believe? It was interesting. I was listening to a TED Talk on cheating. I don't know if you've ever heard of TED Talks, but they're basically just random talks given. They're 15, 20-minute long talks given by scholars or academic people or people who are experts in their field of study. It was a fascinating thing to hear. They experimented on a group of people where this group of people were given a sheet of paper with simple math equations on them, and they were given a certain amount of time to finish that piece of paper. However, the testers knew that they gave them less amount of time than it would take to actually do the mathematical equations. And at the end of the test, they were to receive $1 per correct answer. In the first group, they finished the test and they handed in their sheets of paper and the testers found that they averaged about $4 per person. Now they did the same experiment again. They handed out their piece of paper with the mathematical equations on them and a limited amount of time. Only this time, they were told to tear up that piece of paper at the end of the test and simply tell the tester how many they got right. Well, the testers found that the average had jumped to about $7 per person. And they continued doing this test, and they found that most everyone cheated, but they only cheated by a little bit. They didn't say they got 20 correct, but simply lied a little bit to make themselves look a little bit better. They continued to test this theory, and they wanted to find out if people would cheat more if the prize at the end was bigger, if the incentive was greater. The question was not, do people cheat, but by how much? They found most people would only cheat a little bit, even if the incentive to cheat was greater. It was a fascinating experiment for me to listen to. Their conclusion was that everyone has a personal fudge factor. The personal fudge factor was this. How much can they cheat and still feel good about themselves? So we all at times sin a little. But most of us try not to sin so much that we start to feel bad about ourselves. Many people today, like the chief priests, are an authority unto themselves. They continually question God's authority to see what they can get away with rather than accepting his authority. And therefore, most people today make up their own rules as to how much they can cheat. But you know, there's a second way in which people rebel against God's authority, and that is this. That we say yes with our words, but by our actions we say no. Jesus continued to speak to the chief priests and the elders of the people and he gave them this parable about the two sons, where a father went to his two sons, and he said to the first son, please go work in the vineyard today. And the first son said, no, dad, I don't want to do that. But later on, he decided, yeah, I better go work in the vineyard. And he went and worked in the vineyard. The second son said, yes, dad, okay, no problem, I'll get on to that. But you know, he got busy, and his his day was busy with friends and hanging out, and he just never really got around to working in the vineyard. But Jesus simply asked the chief priest, which son actually did 
what the father wanted. Simple, right? They said it was the first son. But you see, the leaders placed themselves ahead of everyone else. And they said, look at us. We are more righteous than you. And what Jesus is pointing out to the leaders in this parable is that they were saying yes to the Lord verbally, but by their actions, the way in which they actually lived, they were saying no. And unfortunately, I think you would agree, there are many times in our own lives when our actions don't line up with what we say. A lot of people have good intentions. They don't intend to say no when they say yes. But good intentions don't really count until you actually follow through with them. I don't know who came up with the saying, it's the thought that counts. But really, when has that ever been true in our world? How about this? Oh, I was going to buy you a Christmas present, but, you know, I decided to spend it on myself. But, you know, it's the thought that counts, right? (laughs) You could try this with the bank next time you have to pay your mortgage. Oh, I was going to pay my mortgage this month, but, you know, I decided not to. I'm sure the bank will understand because it's the thought that counts, right? (laughs) I might try this with my wife on her next birthday. I'm confident of what she will say, but it won't be... It's the thought that counts. (laughs) And I'm not sure it's the thought that counts, counts much with Jesus either. You see, Jesus said the prostitutes and the tax collectors, they were moving past the religious elite. Because while they may have said no in the midst of their sin, when they encountered their Savior, Jesus Christ, they said yes to God by their actions and their changed lives. Jesus was pointing out to the chief priests that the sinners who acknowledge their struggle with sin, they are the ones who are truly seeking after God. And so even though at one time they were saying no by the way they lived in the midst of their sin, now they were saying yes to God by their changed lives. You see, I believe that Jesus would prefer for us to say yes with our mouths and yes by our actions. He says that in Matthew 5, verse 37, Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. But as Jesus makes clear in this parable of the two sons, he will accept your actions more than your words. And so that old idiom is true. Your actions speak louder than your words. You see, the challenge that Jesus sets before us is to say yes with our words and yes through the things that we do. Saying yes to God in both word and deed will propel us forward in our growth and our walk with God. Saying yes to God can bring you into the kingdom of heaven. And saying yes to God starts with acknowledging that you are a sinner in need of a Savior and then living like you are a sinner saved by that Savior. You see, once you say yes to God, then God invites you to join in with him in his continuing story. And it's a story of restoration and renewal, of hope and reconciliation. And God is at work all around us, seeking to reconcile the world and restore the world unto himself. And he does this one person at a time, as each one decides to say yes to his invitation. And once you say yes in both word and deed, you will join in with God in what he is doing. And you will experience him accomplishing his activity through your life. I love what Henry Blackaby said. He said, you cannot stay where you are and go with God at the same time. 
The sad reality is that all too often many people live in such a way that they try to get God to say yes to what they want, rather than them saying yes to what He wants. For some of you listening to this, it may be that you need to acknowledge that you've lived for yourself long enough, that for the first time in your life you want to experience true freedom by saying yes to God. For others, it may be that your life is defined by that personal fudge factor. But now is the time when you can truly come before God and say yes with your words and yes with your actions. Maybe some of you are sensing that God is leading you to make a big change in your life. Maybe you've been ignoring his leading because you're afraid to step out in faith. Well, I hope today will be a day when you say yes to stepping out in faith. No matter where you are today, I pray that you will say yes to God in your words 